was quoted as saying, junior mining is dead. And uh, what's your response to this quote here? It's easy to lose 80 or 90% of your money in junior gold mining stocks. And I, I mean, I know for a fact because I have some accounts transferred to me from people. And, you know, they, they'll say to me, it used to be a million, but oh, it's probably a couple of hundred now. And of course, when I get it, it's nowhere near a couple of hundred. It's 80,000 or something. I mean, so people have lost significant amounts of money. Those people won't come back anytime soon. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. Greetings and welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Uh, thank you for those that have been uh, engaging the show and sending me emails. My email is at bill at miningstockeducation.com. A few of you have submitted questions and feedbacks through my website on the contact form, and a couple of those emails were incorrect. So if you didn't receive a response from me, just make sure that you submit uh, the correct email if you choose to go through the contact form on miningstockeducation.com. We're going to be talking about the resource markets today with one of my favorite people, uh, veteran resource manager Adrian Day of Adrian Day Asset Management. Adrian, thanks for coming back on Mining Stock Education. And could we kick it off by you sharing some of your key observations from the two recent conferences, Beaver Creek Summit and the Denver Gold Forum, please? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Bill, for having me. Um, you know, both shows were, both conferences were uh, very well attended, I thought. Um there was among the investors what I would think of as uh, realistic optimism. Um, I think perhaps you know perhaps the, the more interesting thing to talk about would be the uh, some some of the attitude you know the um, uh, approach if you want or the sentiment among the mining companies themselves. Uh, Beaver Creek, of course tends to have more junior companies, a lot of exploration companies, and those companies will be having meetings both with investors, but also with more senior companies looking for assets. Um, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the exploration companies were, I think, extremely optimistic about you know, the number, the, the interest from more senior companies in their projects. But I think, frankly, to some extent, that was misplaced optimism. I mean, uh, 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 for example, just as a ex hypothetical example, this is not referring to any particular company, you know, a, a, a senior or mid-tier mining company operating in Mexico in silver is going to look at every silver exploration project that companies have in Mexico. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to make an offer of the company next week. And I think a lot of the juniors got a little carried away at just how many just how many meetings they had with the seniors. 
Um, but nonetheless, there's no question that the major companies, major and second tier, are looking. You know, there's no question about that because you know the fundamental one of the fundamental themes of the gold business remains, and that is there just isn't enough. Uh, there aren't enough good quality uh, gold or silver projects around, and we are and the senior mining companies, companies producing anywhere from you know a million to five million a year have to replace those ounces, and that's not an easy job. So they're always going to be looking. Um, but the interest this year, I think, was was definitely a little a little higher. At the same time, I would have to say that the producers generally were taking a pretty cautious approach on M&A. Frankly, on a lot of things, they were taking a cautious approach, uh, despite the increase in the price of gold. You know, on 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 M and A, um, no question that among the senior companies and the second tier producers, you know, by second tier I'm talking about big companies like Yamana or or B2. You know, I'm not yet talking about the juniors. Among among the producers, um, there was a lot more talk about assets there were in aggregate there were a lot more assets for sale <laughs> than there were um you know people ready to buy and the the uh the comment you got from a lot of people was just how few quality assets there were they had looked at this they had looked at that you know they thought this would be a good synergistic buy fit because it was next door or whatever um, but when they dug deep, um, they, 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 they found problems. And, and that, I think, was a theme that came up a lot, a lack of quality projects. And, and let me just, sorry, uh, this answer will probably be the longest of all, because it's not, it's not really observations on Colorado, but it's sort of observations on the way the business is thinking. So that was certainly one thing. Um, I think the other thing is that uh, the big, uh, the mega mergers we had last year, Barrick and Rank Gold and um, Newmont and Gold Corp, both companies said they would be they would be disposing of non-core assets. We've had very few, very little of that come onto the market yet, but I think a lot of potential buyers of assets are probably waiting to see what comes out from Barrick and Newmont. Because that's a sort of uh, one-off opportunity, uh, if you know what I mean. If you're looking at some exploration play that's developing a project in wherever, Peru, and you like it, and you're interested, and you're watching it, well, it'll probably still be there six months or a year from now. But if, if Newmont wants to spin something off, it'll be a one-off Okay, so I mean, a lot of these companies are really just waiting to see what assets come from from uh, Barrick and Newmont. Um, but but I mentioned a sort of generally conservative, if you want, or business-like might be a better word approach. And it wasn't just M and A; um, it was with the prices that are being used. Not so much for reserve um, uh, reports because you know there's various rules that they have to follow on that. There's some flexibility, but there's still rules that have to be followed. But companies that were looking internally at projects as to whether or not they should be developed, 
Um, some of them were still using 1250. And in fact, in one company I was at, one of the people said to me, we'll probably increase that to 1300. And the, um, uh, the, the VP of, of, uh, the VP of, um, uh, the CFO, rather, the CFO said, no, you won't. 1275 at the highest. <laughs> so, I mean, that was sort of interesting when we've got a $1,500 gold price. So I think people have been hurt before, um, both of developing projects that, you know, when, when gold moves up, developing marginal projects, they've also been hurt with, just like investors, with the gold price going up and then falling back. So, um, and, and that, so, so overall, there's a, a more, you can call it what you like, conservative, business-like, rational, but certainly, certainly not um, rational exuberance, irrational exuberance yet. <laughs> you know, two of the adjectives that other people I've had on the show recently have used were disciplined and positive to describe the sentiment at those two conferences. Absolutely. I, disciplined would be another word for what I'm saying, conservative, businesslike. Yeah, disciplined, definitely, no question. People were not and whether it was the the exploration companies or the producers, yeah, they they were not running around like crazy yet. Um, you know, obviously people are positive on the gold price. I mean, it's nice to see the gold price up, and and there was certainly some optimism, no question about that. Um, but I think generally a more a more cautious optimism or rational optimism if you like but having said that i mean i think a lot of people uh definitely felt that gold had turned and 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 i certainly agree with that i mean i i'm very optimistic on the gold price i i think we just sometimes expect too much from gold so when it goes from 1300 to 1500 in um you know, uh, four months or whatever it is, we sort of expect it to reach 2000 by the end of the year. And that obviously may not happen. So I think sometimes we expect too much, but I think definitely gold has turned for a lot of reasons, primarily the monetary factors. Um, and, you know, we'll see higher prices at the end of the year and, and next year, in my view. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy's led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized, has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. Adrian, I'd like you to respond to uh, a recent quote. I believe this was article, this quote comes from the Financial Times. Jeffrey Christian, who is the chief executive of the CPM Group, which is a metals statistical and advisory service, was quoted as saying, quote, junior mining is dead, and I have been running CPM Group for 33 years. And for 32 of those years, we were talking to people about investing in mining companies or metal now institutional and retail investors are simply not investing in junior mining companies because they have lost money at it for so long. And uh, what's your response to this quote here? 
Uh, well, I have the highest respect, respect for Jeffrey, by the way. Um, no, I don't really agree. I think time will change that. Um, you know, as human beings, we all tend to um, uh, forget things fairly. <laughs> we forget lessons fairly quickly. Um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's no question that at the moment, um, investors are not looking at the junior sector because they've not just lost money. They've lost, as Jeffrey knows, they've lost a lot of money. You know, the, the, uh, juniors, it's easy to lose 80 or 90% of your money in junior gold mining stocks. And I, I mean, I know for a fact, because I have some accounts transferred to me from people and, you know, they, they'll say to me, it used to be a million, but oh, it's probably a couple of hundred now. And of course, when I get it, it's nowhere near a couple of hundred. It's 80,000 or something. I mean, so people have lost significant amounts of money. Those people won't come back anytime soon. But a lot of them are hanging in because they want, they think, they want to get their money back. But, uh, you know, so those people are not going to be adding money and so on and so forth. And then you also have the phenomenon of, you know, dad lost half his money in the gold market and the kids when they inherit are not going to do the same thing. Um, but I don't think this is permanent. And I get back to the thing that I said earlier. You know, um, I'm not going to talk about peak gold or running out of gold or anything like that, but it is becoming increasingly difficult to find major deposits, big deposits. And, you know, the statistics show that they hold that up over not just over the last couple of years, but over 15 or 20 years of uh, the number of large deposits that are being discovered is 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 going down. Um, is trending down uh, and, and in the last few years significantly down. And it's not a matter of just a lower gold price so people aren't looking. You can correlate the, um, you can look at the amount of money that's being spent around the world on looking for gold. Last year, of all the non ferrous metal spending, uh, half of it was on gold, looking for gold deposits. Um, and gold, of course, is nowhere near half of the size of the whole non-ferrous metal, non metal market. But so people are spending money looking and they simply are not finding. And yet the company that's producing 3 million ounces has to uh, replace those ounces just to stay where it is. Very, very, very few companies in any sector will have a deliberate plan to shrink the business. <laughs> Very few companies want to do that. Now, sometimes they grow unnecessarily for growth sake, just to get bigger. But even if they're not planning on getting bigger just to get bigger, they don't want to shrink. And because it's a depleting asset mining, you have to replace those ounces. It's very, very difficult. And most major mining companies no longer have exploration departments. It's astonishing. During the downturn from 2011 for the next several years, companies like Barrick, Newmont, lots of them, they just got rid of their exploration departments. And they rely, the juniors have become the sort of exploration arm of the seniors. So the juniors, admittedly, a lot of, a lot of exploration companies will raise too much money, spend too much money, most of it on GNA and salaries. The salaries are extremely bloated for exploration companies, in my view, but don't produce anything as a rule, as, as a, uh, sorry, 
Um, but anyway, the point I'm making is that uh, the juniors will 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 explore, and when they have a discovery, money will flow back in. There's no question about that in my mind. Adrian, you like the royalty model, and we've actually done a webinar together where you talked about the royalty model. Um, one of the royalty companies, Osisco Gold Royalties, has just made a bid to acquire. Uh, Bakerville Gold Mines. They already own 33% of the company, but now a royalty company wants to buy this development company. Uh, what are your thoughts here? I mean, is this kind of like deviating from the business plan to where investors could rightfully look at Osisco and say, hey, that's not what I signed up for? Well, I, th- I think so. Now, Osisco, of course, has always been a hybrid royalty uh, with their incubator or accelerator model where they put large amounts of money as in Bet Parkerville, uh, you know, they own 33% of the shares, as you said. So they've had this incubator model where they put money and large amounts of money into exploration companies um, to, to help them drill um, and, and been sort of um, either on the board or, or certainly, you know, lending technical assistance or whatever. So more than just passive investors. So it's always been a bit of a hybrid. Um, yeah, I think... The, I, I have two thoughts on the subject. One is, I think the deal for Barkerville may indeed turn out to be a very good one. They're getting it at a good price, about 0.6 of net present value for a development project isn't too bad. And uh, Sean Rusen, the CEO of Cisco, and his team are very, very good. They're aggressive, but they're very good you know, mine developers and builders. Let's face it, they built uh, Canadian Melantic, largest gold mine in Canada in the last, whatever, 15 or 20 years. So they're very good at this. Um, so so that's number one. Number two, however, yes, it deviates from royalty model and people buy royalty companies because of the low risk model. But when you buy a junior mining company and aim to develop the project, that's you you remove that low risk aspect. So I think it may be a good deal for a Cisco, but definitely a Cisco, um, you know, does not deserve to and will not trade at the sort of royalty models, uh, royalty multiples, because it just isn't a pure royalty anymore. But it's cheap now, in my views. The sell-off is overdone. In the last five months since gold has been rising, Adrian, is there anything different that you've done uh, with your gold portfolio or what you've recommended to clients? Or were you pretty much positioned already in advance of this move and you just left your portfolio alone? Uh, To a a large extent, the second. But the change, yes, there's definitely been some changes. And that is... You know, we, we've jumped on some of the senior stocks a bit, uh, uh, you know, we've jumped on some of the senior stocks that, are, that, that um, uh, we, we think will benefit, uh, be the initial benefactor, beneficiaries of, of the gold move. We all know this, but remember when gold moves, in a, when it begins to move, typically the senior companies move first. Um, and then the junior, and then the junior producers, and then you know the exploration companies really don't move at all for quite a while until the market's well developed, and we've seen that already. The exploration companies that have moved in in the last six months have been ones that have had a specific uh, development, a specific, you know either a great drill hole or or whatever. 
but there's been a specific positive development and they will move on that. No question. Whereas two years ago, you know, companies could put out good news and people took it as an opportunity to sell the stock. Um, but now it's different. So good news is, is responded, but, but the, what I call the good company with good people doing good work, but without any particular news, they haven't, they haven't uh, benefited from this yet at all. Uh, the irony, of course, Bill, and I mean, we've talked about this before, I think, maybe not on online, but um, the irony is that at the beginning of a bull market, sometimes the stocks that do best are the stocks of the worst companies. And by worst, I mean high cost of production and high debt. If you have high cost of production and high debt, you have much more leverage to a rising gold price than the company with the low cost of production and no debt. And so at the beginning of a bull market, those companies, will, those stocks will sometimes do better than the stocks of the good quality companies. But that doesn't last because typically what I'll very generally call a bad company remains a bad company, even when the gold price goes up a couple hundred dollars. Um, but certainly at the beginning of a bull market, leverage companies and the senior producers will move first. And we've we tried to sort of move into some of those um, as opportunistic plays, yeah. Adrian, this question I've asked a couple of recent guests, and it is, do you believe that we could have a, a really nice gold bull market but not see the industrial metals uh, come along so that it wouldn't be a full natural resource bull market, but it would just primarily be a gold bull market? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, remember, you know, I mean, everybody listening knows this, but gold and then to a lesser extent, silver and platinum and palladium respond to certain factors that, that the base metals don't respond to. Now, there are certain factors that they all respond to, a lower dollar, etc., but higher inflation. But there are other factors that gold will respond to that the base metals won't. And we're sort of in that environment now where we have a slowing, um, a slowing global economy, we have concerns about deflation, um, and of course, at the same time, we have the money supply exploding like crazy. So that's very positive for gold, but it's not so positive for copper, for example, or any of the other base metals. Outside of gold, are there any metals that are maybe less followed or even some sort of area of natural resource investing that you could share that you think uh, might be poised for an upswing? Um, I'm, there's no question. I'm most positive on gold right now as a risk reward, no question, and silver secondarily. Um, but to answer your question, um, I, I still am very favorably inclined to copper. I just think you might have to wait a couple of years, but if you look out, say, three years, there's very, very little doubt in my mind that there's going to be a supply deficit, which means higher prices. And that supply deficit is going to come not from increased demand necessarily, um, but it's going to come from a shortage of, of large-scale production uh, mines coming on, coming on stream to replace uh, the depletion of the mines that are already, you know, uh, already producing. So copper, I think, would be my main one. Um, you know, some of the others, I'm 
I'm a little less optimistic on in the near term, to be honest, like uranium. You, you know, I, I mean, 10 years from now, yes, it might be wonderful. Five years from now, it might be. But I, I don't think there's any particular rush. So some of them were just slowly accumulating, but copper would be the one I'm most favorably inclined to. Adrian, as we conclude, uh, could you share your contact information if listeners would like to reach out to you? Oh, that's very kind of you. It's Adrian Day. The, co- the company is Adrian Day Asset Management. And the website is adriandayassetmanagement.com. And the phone number or the email is assetmanagement at adriandayassetmanagement.com. I always appreciate your insights. So thanks for joining me on Mining Stock Education today. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. The company is focused on its Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, where there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver. The Candelaria Mine historically was the highest grade silver producer in Nevada, generating over 68 million ounces of silver at an amazing average production rate of over 1,250 grams per ton. The project has tremendous expansion potential as past drilling has out deeper, high-grade silver targets for future drill programs. Silver One is highly leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.